Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Season 2, Episode 13, Times Squared. Or cubed or something. Jean-Luc Jordy specs mysteries on the holodecks. Asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids. Transporter, deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law. Photons, no Kirk, Captain has gone berserk. Shuttlecraft, Council Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy. Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights. Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread. Celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Start the series. And now a thrice veteran of the podcast himself, our guest host this week is Pat Boberg. Pat, thanks for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, gentlemen quick plug of course you can normally hear pat boberg alongside uh jacob rosdale in the film cast without a cause which you guys have been uh shaking up the format a little bit going to uh you know kind of more focused topics like more frequent episodes if i'm remembering correctly yeah we initially were a weekly podcast and we decided to go back to that and make it a shorter show so that it's not as long and uh more frequent so the same amount of show just uh, not spread out over the course of an hour as it used to be or longer. Some, when you get to the 75-minute point in an episode of a podcast, sometimes you wonder who's listening and where are they driving from, like <laughs> Santa Fe to uh, Portland, Maine, or what's going on. Exactly. Uh, desert bus? Uh, driving the desert bus? Be the... I like it. I'm not even sure where we are or what's happening because Times Squared, I felt, was uh, above all a very confusing episode of star trek the next generation (laughs) like i don't know what you guys thought about it but uh, i came away from it going what like so many times i just want to preface this with the fact that we have a document that at the beginning of of uh, the start of each of these seasons we go in and just say should we skip or watch this from what we remember of of these episodes way back when um and for some reason both of us had watched this (laughs) okay (laughs) and and i just have no idea where we were, what what episode we thought this was, right? Well, and the only person here who really had any semblance of a choice is is Pat, is you. Uh, and, I, and I have to ask, did you kind of, did you pick this episode? Did you gravitate towards it? Or is this kind of one of the ones that was just left and you said, eh, I'll do it, I guess. Uh, well, there's always the thing with me that I'll take any time travel episode or uh, time paradox episode or nice one where second. they talk about a branch of time uh, travel logic. And this one had to do with, uh, the Mobius Strip, which is one that is more of a geometric um, mathematical oddity as not so much yeah. a time travel um, device. But it, it it has its moments on the on the all. I'd say I think they wrote about 27 minutes worth of show and then stretched <laughs> the rest out into just yep. terrible crap. Um, I mean, the beginning of the episode starts with some service towards things to come. But then there's like a long stretch where they're bringing in the shuttlecraft. It sounds, yeah, it, the, the shuttlecraft part is very um, Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, yeah. But that opening scene, I do want to talk about that opening scene because it's weird. And and you, you did pull up the one thing that I, I was sure was going to get called up here, um, that we get some Riker backstory. He, he talks about the fact that his mother died um, when he was a child, right? Yep. Um, and that's important, right? That's important to Riker's backstory. Um, and that might be the singular important line in this episode, but he's also making eggs and he, he's oh, basically doing everything wrong, right? Like, tell <laughs> me what he's doing right in that scene. Well, for starters, he's putting it on a hot plate. So yeah, he's not something using the right. right kind of pan yeah. first off. Yeah. <laughs> and the eggs stick to it like crazy because why wouldn't they? Like, <laughs> well, also, at one point, I would just like to point this out because this really bothered me even when I was a kid when I watched this episode, but like, you know, so much more now. Everyone claims they're there under the guise of having omelets. Uh, yeah. And he makes just, scrambled eggs. Like, that's just. And he makes them in like 30 seconds and he gives them each like maybe a cup yeah. of scrambled eggs. And like, <laughs> they're coming over for dinner? <laughs> like. <laughs> 
No, it takes Worf like 15 seconds to finish this meal. Can I just say my favorite part is that he portions out the eggs and then he gives uh, Data just a little more because he's like, oh, Data yep, didn't get yep, enough. Yep. The android who, uh, you know, it doesn't really have the qualitative properties to say if it's good or not deserves just, you know, a little scoop more just to make sure he's OK. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it's and uh, oddly, it might be Data and Worf are the only ones who could an, appreciate them or, or fail to not hate them uh as pulaski and Jordy do yeah it, it's but, like the whole scene is just really uh i get the point of it and i the only reason i really get the point of it is because they're literally so on the nose with it because of pulaski's like basically like oh for many years the breaking of bread <laughs> i get it okay we're here to cook and share fellowship and blah 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 but it it uh it was a very weird way to start the episode. I guess maybe it was a way they thought it would make Riker's backstory a little more natural. Well, and if you're going to have a dinner party, right, you don't make scrambled eggs. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that, I'm certain, is just a thing where they're like, look, we don't have a kitchen. Like, nothing oh boy, yeah. even close. What's it in craft services? <laughs> oh, oh, we've got four Oh, no, we've got two eggs. Two of them are already hard-boiled. All right, we'll make two. Just cut those up. Yep. Because that's really kind of what it looked like. They looked like the worst scrambled eggs ever. Yeah. Looked like there was styrofoam in them. But Worf sure loved them, man. He thought they were delicious. Can delicious. I can I make another point? He he makes an argument about flair. Um <laughs> <clears throat> Yes. Yes. He which does. which in I mean, we can make the office space call out all day um about flair. Yeah. But it it, it gets um, under my skin a little bit. There yeah, fifteen pieces. He has he has one. Um, that 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 argument that it, basically that same argument has been used um, recently in science to argue that that um, if if you uh, fail to to get the same result twice that the the first experiment have might first experiment might have had some flare specifically flare that the second did not that is that has become a word in uh, scientific circles to mean. <laughs> um, pretty much garbage science if somebody is claiming that they have flair specifically so did this idea exist before 1989 because if so then they no no it's really then really picard really, yeah, you know the whole time loop thing here might have some flair involved yeah, yeah i like I, it i think that suddenly this, they went forward in time and implanted this this idea in the mind of the idiot who came up with this argument who i won't even name but look up look up science and replicability and flair and you'll probably find it but... so i want to I want to talk about the flair of this episode um, because I think the best way to describe this episode, Pat, you've already you've already got there. It's about twenty seven minutes of content in a forty five minute container, um, <laughs> and it's um, you, you know it's it's nonsensical, really. I think because there's there's time travel there, but time travel as presented in this episode just. I mean, it's just so weird. Like they don't they they're literally making up rules uh, to time travel that have never been referenced before in this series or any other series um, before or since. Like, I, I mean, it's cr it makes it's another one of these episodes that to me seems like a like a Twilight Zone episode more than uh, more than like a an actual TNG episode. But uh, I, I don't know. This one just, it stuck out to me as just, we need this to be weird, so we're just going to make it weird, I guess is what it, what a lot of it felt like. And, and maybe, Patrick, maybe that's a good question to you. Oak. You said you remember that this has time travel, um, but, like, is this how you remember it? or Compared to what I remember from my original viewing, which might've been in the mid nineties on a rerun. Um, I mean, I haven't watched the early seasons as religiously as I am now, since you guys started the show and the idea that it matches up what I used to think, not even close. I mean, this, this is comparatively like a bunch of mishmashed ideas haphazardly slung together. And like the Mobius strip idea is very awkward. And the way they get about, about it, it's, it's not so much a, um, I don't know, a scientific idea is as much as a philosophical one. And yeah, and, and actually, it, you I think that's that where earlier. it kind of, it both ex exceeds at that and fails miserably at the same time uh, at that conceit. 
It, you mentioned the Moby strip earlier, and I forgot that I wanted to come back to that. But um, that one stood out um, for me, too, as something that was just really weird here. Um, because they're talking about time travel and stuff, and and then Worf comes in and says, like, there's the concept yes. of the Mobius. Yes, and he <laughs> turns he turns literally like he's just sitting there, and he's got his hand on his chin, as if he's pondering like the warrior philosopher, and uh, and just says, yes, there there is always the theory of the Mobius, and I'm just like, what? deep that's cut like, there, Worf. Uh, okay, well. It's that's like, what well, that's what Klingons do. They sit around and debate geologic, <laughs> I mean, uh, geometric uh, philosophy. Yes. Well, yes. and the question is, like, is the theory that one exists geometrically? Because they do. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I could take a piece of paper and make one right now. Um, <laughs> and there's a little arts and craft project. But, yeah, to, to link that to the time aspect, it, it really feels like they're just pulling science buzzwords and just tossing them around like well that'll make this sound sciencey mm-hmm. and that works mm-hmm. when it's something like uh matter antimatter mix sure um because that's high enough level that you either get it and it starts to make some sense or like you just allow it to be a thing um but a mobius strip is simple enough that you can't just say that and not really have it work yeah and i think like the um, that's also part of the part where he's just throwing it out there. It's never re- referred to again. They kind of talk about the idea of like once you've set on a track or a path that you're locked into it and they come back to that again and again. It's more about um, doubt than it is about time travel. And yeah. the the obvious example is that as soon as um, what might be causing the event shows up that it's uh, one of Star Trek's favorite things is just a all-powerful uh, entity or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something or other that they never explain or go back to ever again. So okay. I, I, I don't okay. necessarily think it has so much to do with the Mobius as it is. It's just, uh, hey, here's an idea that maybe no one out there who doesn't exist in the uh, mathematics or world has considered. And, you know, I doubt many people have or even considered it in the moment of watching the show. Well, and it, yeah. there are two huge things that I want to kind of back up and, and, and go to here real quick because Pat... Mm-hmm. Um, two of the things you mentioned like uh, are kind of at the heart of what I what I noted about this episode. One that um, the last time you saw it was you know when you were a kid, you know when when it was the the 90s, um, and it was you know I think this episode works much more in a kid brain than it does in a in a in an adult because. I remember when I was a kid, I watched this episode a lot, and it was largely because, you know, it was one of the few episodes that I had on VHS tape that I'd happened to catch on a rerun and just record. And so, you know, I watched it because it was like, I think, the first one on that tape. So it was always the first thing to come up if I rewound it. But I remember really liking this episode because for a moment, if you divorce the the whole premise of time travel, which when inserted into this episode as an explanation for everything makes everything fall apart because it's ridiculous. Um, When you pull that part out and you just focus on the creepy shuttle in the middle of nowhere, that's inexplicable with no, you know, mothership around the fact that it's an enterprise shuttle, but none of the power systems work. And it has a captain Picard inside who he doesn't work. Like those are actually kind of creepy, sort of interesting ideas that, that in a better episode, I think would have been kind of neat. Um, it's just because the whole thing relies on this really dumb, poorly executed, uh, time travel idea. It just doesn't work. Um, and then real quick, because, yeah, I'm sure you guys have a lot to, to respond to about that. The other thing that, that I wanted to mention was um, you had said an all-powerful being as, as a possible explanation behind this. Um, I, I found through some research that this was actually supposed to be a, a Q episode, that this was supposed Ooh. to. Um, the whole idea behind all of this stuff was not that it was just this weird vortex in the middle of nowhere, that it was, it was Q messing with them. And this was actually supposed to be um, a, an episode that slotted directly into the episode Q Who, which we get later in this um, in this season. Um, and so, like, because when I when I looked, dug into this episode, I was real mad because I'm like Maurice Hurley, why? Because he's the showrunner at this point. He's wrote he's written some real stinkers, and apparently this this episode was aggressively rewritten because Gene Roddenberry hated the Q elements 
um, and said he basically all the stuff at the end that doesn't make sense. Gene said that was the way that it had to be, and so that's why they um, why the episode was well, aggressively rewritten. Doddering old fool. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of, I mean, this it's, is it's, yeah, yeah. It's not even the stuff at the end that doesn't necessarily make sense. It, 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 it's throughout, but I, I like the point that the premise of this, the basic back of the envelope, there's an abandoned shuttle, um, turns out to be mm-hmm. Enterprise. The way you line that up, you're right, that is a good premise. And there probably was a good core of this at some point. Um, and there are a lot of seeds that you could see throughout, even to the scene that we were just talking about, the the, the scene where they're talking through all this. Um, and you mentioned the idea when they said uh, they might have set on a course of action and, and something along those lines. Um, I swear there's another Star Trek episode that I just can't remember where they go into this much better. Um, but the idea that, and I thought they were going to do it here. There is a better did. episode coming up where it involves like a uh, a planet and a time loop and the only one who knows it exists is Data. Why am I forgetting that episode? What episode? Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, eventually they like the 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 thing says it's going to destroy them. Instead, of, oh, let's just wait till it comes up. But it involves uh, oh yeah 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 similar mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. loops, but uh, yep. it's explained much better. Yes, and, and I think that the is way they get to it where they it's, start it's a much more of a, much more suspenseful. Yep, and it, 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 they get to that idea of. Um, of choice and what choice means and they almost get to it here and it, it's it's almost this this tease of an idea that that they say well if they were in front of us like why not turn around and go the other way uh, and the, the deeper answer is well maybe this has already happened and the reason that we got in trouble is that we got this shuttle and then we caused us to do this thing and like our, our actions they kind of just say well maybe our actions are lined up and then they say well Mobius <laughs> and um, they never really touch on that. But, yeah, there is a good core of a sci-fi trope here that um, when someone comes back in time, that that has implications in terms of what that might cause to happen, right? We, we talk about, I mean, Terminator, right? Terminator is a great example of that. I, th- I think this episode's uh, kind of rife with... Uh obvious if it was a rewritten mess that there's just turns in it that are inexplicable especially when eventually they realize that the event that's happened is started they even say it like uh, well and there's no use waiting even though they were just sitting in the ready room talking about how they had to wait and then when they decide that <laughs> yeah. captain picard maybe needs to leave the ship uh deanna troy starts um like uh, just immediately says yes, that's a good idea. Even though that's the thing they were trying to avoid <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Oh, can and we talk about was... Troy? Oh yeah, yeah, go sure. for it. She, she's yeah. she's not the worst she's been, but she is pretty. No, useless. she's not the worst. But I do have some questions. Um, it's also the case when they they oh I forget who it's Data and no, it's not Data. It's Riker and Worf that go down to find the shuttle, right? Mm-hmm. And then they say, hey Picard, you should come down here and bring Data. And then they come down, and uh, but Troy is also with them. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess they just brought Troy for some reason. Now the whole gang's here. Um, but she has some weird statements throughout that, like, she could tell that it's him. Um, and it raises this question of, like, well, what is she really getting at again? Is it emotions, or is there some sort of, like, emotional fingerprint that people have that if someone was in the next room, she could tell who it was? Um, more than just their emotions, um, which I'm not sure has come up in as many words in an episode yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this whole episode is uh, is an example of characters doing things and knowing things, not at a point where it's natural for them, but because the <laughs> plot requires them to know Oh, that. yeah, sure, this is <laughs> or plot to device, the episode. Well, and, and it's... Um, I, I mean, I remember there's one line with uh, Deanna Troy where, um, God, she says like something to the effect of like, it's as if he's looking at us across a great chasm, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just it's like, what? Like, what are you? She's she's clearly trying to describe why the there's another Picard here who's on the table looking up and just like effectively mute, right? Because he's just looking around and like his head's tilting in an odd way and, and she's. You know, like it's a you know a, f- a funhouse hall of mirrors or something. But like, you know, I'm like, why do you know that? Like, what are you, what, 
what what's what the things that she knows are just really strange and yeah she's sure it's him uh she also immediately knows how his brain functions i guess uh yep like it's just it, it's it's kind of silly like in a lot well of and ways. it's also the, the the thing that they don't get to um like do they have any vulcans on the ship at all i mean that theoretically would be, dr salar right uh, they yeah, do sure. because uh, there's an upcoming episode. Sorry, but you, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but your podcast, at least recently, has triggered me to binge the show. I am got so far ahead; it's, it's pathetic <laughs> that I had to come back um, because it's starting to get to the point where you're like, "This is the TNG that I knew." Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. and, you gotta slow it down, pump those brakes. In yep. a few episodes, there's an, there's some Romulan um, interaction and. Um, like this is obviously next season, but Beverly Crusher says, uh, you know, I checked your DNA with the rhyme with the, with the yeah, Vulcans yeah, yeah. on board. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so you know that there are, you know, well, cause yeah, they have a lot of so, people. They have a lot of people. Yeah. There's gotta be at least one or two Vulcans. They could call them in and be like, Hey, mind melt with this guy. Yeah. Like we can't talk to him, but mind melt, see what he's got in there. Yep. Right. And Picard would be like, yes, do it. it the Picard in this episode, at least would be like, yes, mind melt with, with <laughs> me. Mind, mind meld with me a uh, stand-up special with uh, Jean-Luc Picard yeah exactly yes. I love that <laughs> um, yeah I mean that's that is uh, that's a trope that unfortunately I think Trek will largely have through its entire run I mean like if you're not in the main cast you kind of don't exist you know so it's yep. like they, they just don't reference any of that kind of stuff but yeah you well there, there it, is, it is a lot it is largely back to that point that like Troy is in some ways, Spock, and if Spock was here, he would be mind melding instead of right. Troy doing this stuff, saying like, "It is you." Yep, yep. Well, and um, so the we've kind of talked a little bit about you know the episode broadly, um, just in terms of like what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, they they're trying different things um, with the characters in this episode, um, specifically with the two, you know, what I would consider the two main leads with Picard and Riker. With Riker, they're trying to um, they're trying to clearly establish some backstory, which sounds like it's they're maybe, you know, priming the pump a little bit for uh, for his dad to come back, you know, right? Because they're although I do want to point out that in. In that opening scene, which we already talked about a little bit, you know, he talks about his dad, he talks about Alaska, he talks about how his dad doesn't want to cook. You know, at no point does Dr. Pulaski bring up like, oh yeah, Kyle Riker, I know that guy, you know, dated him for yeah. a long time. Next episode, literally when he shows up, like that's a major plot point. <laughs> so I thought yep. that was kind of weird. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that yep. one in a little bit, I guess. But the other thing I thought was interesting was in the ready room right before the the vortex shows up underneath the ship and, and the the final act kind of gets into gear, they, they clearly kind of try to take a stab at, at giving Picard a little bit of a character flaw, right? That they, they, they even have Riker say something to the effect of like, it's your Persian flaw in, in regards to his inability to just sit tight and wait for something to happen. Um, yeah, I think that's really what like the whole point of this show is that, uh, you know, Captain Picard isn't just the guy who's so sure and self-aware and can talk down and nip omnipotent beings like Q. He is somebody who, especially in the end, uh, you know, he's Mr. Doubt, especially at that point going forward. At every point after that, he is just doubt ridden with what choice to make and will keep him from being in this horrible loop and keep his crew from, uh, you know, dying. But uh, of course, it's a, uh, it's 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 a cool idea. It's just not the best execution of it. I think yeah. we've said. I think we covered that a few times already. Yeah, so, and, and yeah. in many ways, he comes off as a jerk throughout the episode too, which has mm -hmm. happened before, and it never works well. Yeah. Well, in the, um, I want to talk a little bit more about like the the way this episode resolves because they kind of establish Pulaski basically calls it out and says, okay, so this second Picard that we have here was thrown out of time. <laughs> because Hold he on. Was <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's talk about, so what happened to him? <laughs> what is the explanation that is grounded in any sort of idea? Because they pitch a lot here. They pitch a oh, yeah. ton that, boy... See, this is why I think it's not so much a science fiction episode as it is a literary philosophical one, because they didn't spend any time really explaining any of the uh, 
you know, fake science that would go into it. Yeah. But they certainly spent a good amount of time on like, uh, you know, the the anguish that this guy ha- is going through. And even when they're getting into like uh, reverse polarity, negative polarity to try and re get the to get the um, Elbaz back up and going. Um, that that is like painstakingly slow and dry as can be. Yeah. So even like when they get into like the science. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really like the the opposite of what you'd expect from you know people who badmouth Star Trek, which is that like they make up all this scientific nonsense. Well, there's really no scientific nonsense in this episode. It's really just more about things that people encounter and what if you found yourself in a Groundhog Day situation uh, that I don't know you pass out up until the moment you're about to die over and over again. Actually, that sounds terrible. Well, and that would also that would be a little better, right? If and, and Groundhog Day came up actually last week too in the Royale um, as something mm-hmm. that would have made this better. Um, but the the idea that this was a loop that had been going on for a while and they needed to break out, which is again that episode that you uh, pointed out comes up, I, I think next season or some somewhere coming up, um, where Data breaks them out of it. But when you start to think about it as a loop, that's much more um, compelling that they're actually trapped um this like singular cycle and being thrown back once like there's nothing that implies that this is any sort of a a loop that Mm -hmm. that this first time picard goes back they fix it um there's not anything they really have to do different and it's another one of those where like it's not compelling that he really ever figured it out he just gets there and then like shoots him and it's like okay, that worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they, I mean, I think I, I think the problem with this episode is, um, well, I mean, there's there's several. We've outlined a lot of them, but the problem with the resolution, I think, is that it's not interesting because there's just two choices, and like he figures that out, right? That it's like, oh, the choice is to either <laughs> to either leave the ship, which is what this guy tried, and I or still not. don't, I still don't like the idea that. <laughs> like, I, I oh man. So yeah, you either leave the ship or you don't, and then you or go, turn around and go fast, go through the vortex. Yeah, and and like so. But I have so many questions, and I'll just stick mm-hmm. to a couple. I but, have a big one. But but the the first one is, so if Picard, the other Picard, the one that they picked up in the the powered down shuttle, if he was ripped out of time or thrown out of time, and and he's not really himself, and but but. Pulaski clearly states, well, the closer we get to, you know, the time of the incident, the more himself mm-hmm. he becomes. When he's in that shuttle bay, he is, I guess, supposed to be 100% Picard at that point. But he's still, he's he is not Jean-Luc Picard. Like, why is he still 100% fixated on leaving the ship to the point of not being able to be reasoned with at all? Like, why is why is that what's happening? Yeah, at the end. So that part, I when I'm on the rewatch. I, I was thinking this is so un Picard like that he's just locked in yeah. to this mindset, and they kind of try to dupe you into the fact that he doesn't even really know who he is or who he's interacting with. That he barely knows he's on the Enterprise, um, which is a weird thing for Picard to just pick out of the air to say about his proto self or whatever or his alt self. And um, I wondered if that was like a manifestation of him of the vortex or something like testing them or something. there's like no way to pick mm. that apart that makes any logical sense other than the fact that it's not actually Jean-Luc Picard. It might actually be yeah. some other entity. Like if it's well, not like, you know, if Q were there, you'd see Q. But if you're if there's somebody there who can't pull themselves to being themselves, maybe they pull themselves to be something they can mirror, which would be the the person who is the brain of the ship, as they say. Right. Well, and this is the problem with having this. If the genesis of this was a Q episode, when Q does stuff, we don't ask, well, how did Q do that from a scientific standpoint? We just say, oh, Q did that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So if Q was doing all these things, we just say, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, right. It's fine. Right. And when we start to put that in the hands of something that is not Q, um, we're, we're much less lenient of it. Um, because that would either imply that there are many, many crazy, powerful beings out there, which which there already are, um, or that they're trying to explain this in some way, and and they are, um, and yeah. then it's not landing, right? Because they could say many, many times that like he's out of phase, or um, what else? I have a bunch of these written down. Um, where are they? Oh, with the body clock thing, like that that he's, I forget how that even plays out, but the like. 
his body clock is out of sync, so that's what's har- harming him or something. <laughs> like, this is this line <laughs> ringing a bell. Yes. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah. that's not, that's, I don't even know how to begin to dissect that one. But this, the, the idea of out of phase, right? That's a trope that, that comes up other places in sci fi. But for something like brainwaves to be out of phase or like him to be out of phase, just they would, they need to explain that a lot better, right? Yeah. That, that yeah. out of phase in, in what, I mean, n dimensional space, right? How, how is this out of phase? How is this happened? How is this playing out? temporarily out of phase like they just toss around things and and kind of hope it that you don't ask these questions but um as soon as you start to dig into this it just makes no sense yeah well and it's really just it's magic right it's magic at the end of the day yeah and, and yeah I think well it's also the the vortex that's like uh the sloppy sci-fi version of saying or the space um opera version i guess of saying uh, no one can explain what this vortex is they even say it's a <laughs> it's a type of energy field that they've never encountered before so that just means anything that could be an explanation is on the table so nothing is on the table right yep. yeah yeah exactly well and it goes to show you how um I mean, how much damage you can do to a script and a story by saying, by pulling out one element, right? Especially if that element is literally the foundation of the episode. If the episode was written as a Q episode, and then the note is Q doesn't make sense here, you've, you can't just keep that episode and yeah. pull Q out of it because the entire thing starts to unravel because Paul, your point is absolutely correct. None of this would have been questioned if Q surfaced and suddenly it's, yep. it's Q yep. doing the stuff. And, and there's a, there's a quote here from, from Maurice Hurley about this um, when talking about the, the trouble that this episode was going through. Apparently the idea, the idea that Q is behind all of this stuff was the idea that was nixed by Gene Roddenberry. Hurley come, uh, Hurley complained that uh, it added confusion to the ending by doing that. Uh, His quote Mm -hmm. is saying, why would going into the vortex's center save you? It doesn't make any sense, but it does if Q is pulling the strings, essentially. Like, you know, all of this episode makes sense if it's literally just parlor tricks and a test by by Q. I mean, you start to plug him back in and suddenly the pieces of this episode actually kind of start to fall together a little bit more. But without it, you, you're just sitting there going like, okay, so why was the other Picard fixated on, on well, going in, leaving the ship? Yeah. Why, and, why are the only other choices, you know, why is the only other choice going into the center of the vortex? What happens when you go into the center of the vortex? What is that vortex? Why did well, it show up? You know, like, I mean, yep. like none of them. And, and the bigger question that, I, that I, I wanted to ask before, and I forgot about it um, from something else you had said, but the idea, so what is the vortex trying to do? Right? The vortex is trying to pull the ship in presumably to the center of the vortex right if they had just shut off their engines right away and done nothing wouldn't the ship have pulled it wouldn't the vortex have pulled the ship into the center of the vortex and then they would have gotten kicked out the other end Yep. Right. Yeah, well, I, I don't think anyone's um, default setting is let me get sucked into this thing that I can't explain. But say right. the engines had failed or something, right? What what mm. does success look like to the vortex? <laughs> I guess this is another way to put that. Yeah. Well, this, I, th- I think we could just say then that the vortex is a child that needs to touch everything and will throw a fit if it doesn't get to you know, put its hands on something. So you might as well just give it over to the child and then let it get bored with it 10 seconds later and it's gone or that something. Cause the best way you could make sense of this episode and I have to <laughs> hand it to you, but yeah, if, if you were, <laughs> I don't know about that. It sounds like bad no, parenting. I mean, <laughs> no, but the idea of like, if, um, you know, if you were, if, if this was a giant, uh, baby or something and, and it's picking up random objects and, and you were a human being, and it tried to pick you up just not doing anything and not drawing attention would probably be the best thing to do and then it would just set you back down be bored you know what you what this vortex did i mean mm. this is this is again when we get to this length of ways that we could explain these episodes that's where these episodes have really sort of failed you know what this you know what this vortex is um <laughs> this this episode is or, or this vortex is the writer's room at the end of every episode because this vortex is what's <laughs> responsible for the reset button being hit 
and the Enterprise warping off to the next destination, right? Because that's what it does. It literally pulls the ship in, and at the end of the episode, they're like, nope, we're on course for that place we were going the whole time. Oh, man, I wrote a note about that because they said it's uh, Endercore, and I wrote, uh, they're going to Endercore more like Molten Core. So... <laughs> can I can I say so um, when I was trying to tackle the idea of this is such a bad story and they just had like a couple that I really enjoy like uh, Contagion is one of my more favorite uh, favorite ones but mostly because I love the Iconians and there's some Romulan in there. But, Thank you, uh, Pat. Thank you. I was the one who voted to keep that good one of the watch Good thing we had lists. James on. Yeah. yeah, I always thought that there should be a, a Star Trek episode or a film based around Iconian technology because it kind of, in a way, exists happy with that. In, yeah, into would... darkness because into darkness there's the, uh, the... Just, they jump, um, what's his name, jumps from planet to planet and it's never ever brought up again, which is just ridiculous. But uh, when I was trying to come up with other ways that this episode exists, I thought of the end where they're going into the center of the vortex there's some animations that you haven't necessarily seen the ship do like if you're binge watching this on netflix as i've uh one weekend night when my wife was out i watched nine in a row but uh, (laughs) uh, you you start to notice that the animations are reused all the time and they would they wouldn't do that as much today mostly because production is so much cheaper but in the 1988 89 world to animate a 3d object flying in a different pattern with a different backdrop would probably take weeks if not months of time and money so i kind of wonder if they had gotten to the point of no return with this episode for production and they said well we spent 20 grand on the ship flying into the center of a vortex and then that side scrolling shot of it flying against vortex clouds that i mean is really on screen for all of maybe 10 seconds but it's the type of thing that in 1988 would make you go, we need to produce this episode to make that expenditure, uh, you know, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you raised yeah, the only thing logistically. Well, because definitely also... a lot of good money after bad here, sure. Well, but, yeah, yeah. I would yeah, agree with that. Yeah, but I mean, you, you bring up a really good point, though, too, Pat, which is um, the production values of the actual, like, visuals of the vortex, the ship, like, being pulled into the vortex, with the exception of a couple of shots. There's one where it turns around that it looks kind of hokey, but, like... For the most part, the effects in this episode when the Vortex shows up are actually really good for late 80s, early 90s yep. television. Like it, Standard definition like, television, too. And you put this up against the backdrop of the Final Frontier coming around, around the same time. And uh, I don't know when the last time you watched that movie is, but the uh, graphics in that are pretty laughable at times. Oh, woof. Yeah, they because um, <laughs> ILM, that's the only feature film that ILM didn't do, actually, was... Uh, mm-hmm was Final Frontier. Yeah, they, they famously skimped on that because of budgetary reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, this episode uh, visually looks looks pretty good in a lot of spots. And yeah, I mean... Outside of the ridiculous shuttlecraft, which I think an episode or two later, they yeah. modernize it. The look of the it shuttlecraft is like, no longer a box. Yeah, it looked like a, a, like a cardboard box on top of some pool noodles. <laughs> You know, doubt that is one hundred percent the truth. <laughs> it looks like the kind of shuttlecraft you make out of a refrigerator box when you're ten years old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Lincoln it Lux. definitely, it definitely looked weird. And you're right <laughs> for the effects looking so good. That shuttle looked like garbage. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Um, so I want to. Uh, there's a lot of other things we can talk about. I want to throw out a couple of nitpicks, and then I, I really want to get to the end. Um, uh, of this episode and, and kind of close it but two nitpicks because this seems kind of dumb to nitpick an episode i only have two i could have gotten way more but these are just the things that really really bothered me one i already mentioned which is the reset button trope this literally is the the definition of of why a lot of people criticize tng more than other like modern trek series because they're guilty of hitting that reset button at the end of a lot of episodes because it's you know very serialized television this one is a very obvious telegraphed reset button it is a literal reset button we threw we flew through the vortex and now it's fine um so that's really annoying but the other thing that that just bothered me as a as a as a starship nerd i don't like the way they use warp drive here um and and i want to preface that by by saying like when they're getting pulled into the vortex Jordy's like well I'm having to hold 30% on the warp engines just to maintain our position that's not how warp drive works like yeah I thought it was weird too yeah it, yeah, it doesn't it was, yeah. it, what happened to warp pockets and everything like that all of a sudden it's just 
force. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's not like the warp engines are like this, you know, propulsion. Yeah, thing. it's not propulsion in any literal sense of the word. So it's like, had he said impulse engines, like I'd have been all aboard, and like that's kind of what they should have done. But like the fact that I feel like they just use warp as a shorthand for like, man, kick it really hard. The engines are going, but it's like that's pedal not to the metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it just that one really really bothered me. I was like, uh, actually. Uh, uh, that's huh. not how uh, and then I just sat down um, but yeah th- those are my two nitpicks uh, for this episode do you guys have anything else you wanted to throw out there before we got to the, the close of this thing um, I've got one or two small things but yeah we kind of wanna... covered most of it I, I do like Picard goes through like the whole sense of the emotions here like you know from down to inquisitive to angry with the sit down shut up and wait you know, yeah, that type mm-hmm, of uh, mm-hmm. thing going on. But I think the most of the issue I kind of set off the top is just that they really draw out a lot of these scenes with uh, n- like just swells of music or the shuttle bay door opening and the second tractor beam is like for like the deepest of, of crazy nerds. This is a great scene because they get to see how this all works. But for, like, let's keep the plot moving, this is torture. So <laughs> yeah. um, it, I think they really just underwrote it. And uh, it, it makes you kind of sad to encounter yet another, um, like, omnipotent being. That there, There's quite a few in the back catalog of this show so far, even. And coming up in the near future, a couple that I, I really wish would eventually get touched down again, but never do. Yeah. And yeah. it's... Uh, it's I wish somebody would come upon the energy vortex one more time. In fact, about eight or nine episodes from this, there's a similar like ship trapped in a, in an unescapable situation. And, um, I think that happens too often. It's kind of like the lazy, what do we got this week? Oh, the ship can't move. Yeah. They got to figure out a way to make it work. So I, I just, this is probably one of the least, um, well produced versions of the ship can't move. Uh, trope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to know what my um, my super crazy fringe internet fan theory fan fiction explanation of this vortex is? Yes. They're all dead <laughs> after it ends. And then the, everything is the afterlife after that. No, although I would also read that fan fiction. Uh, so this one is because of the way the vortex looks visually and the fact that uh, everything it's the that next happens... Generation. Uh, the motion picture vortex. No, uh, oh. it is. Uh, th- this is a, another vortex of the uh, of the celestial temple. These are the wormhole aliens. Oh, um, I like it from uh, from Deep Space Nine. Deep Space I, I Nine. mean, yeah. a lot of what happens here in terms of the fact that like they they just they're really fluid with time as far as its linearity and like was it real? Was it a dream? Was it you know like all that stuff. And then visually, the vortex just looking very much like the 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 wormhole from uh, from DS Nine. I, I had that thought like the third time I watched this episode, where I was like, that that would at least make this kind of fun. You know, it's it's totally not at all what happened, but you could write a, a decent passable fan fiction about that. If only that would have happened, where they got sucked in the vortex, and all of a sudden they were all like the entire crew of the of uh, the Enterprise were in like a stadium of white light. And they were yep. encountering these other beings. That would have been a much more palatable ending. But of course, and then no. then they all played baseball. Yep. And then all you <laughs> hear, all you hear in the background is the do 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 because there was always that weird heartbeat whenever he was talking to the wormhole aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Paul, you said you uh, you said <laughs> I like that. Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Paul, you said you had a couple of uh, yeah. I had a few small ones, but actually, um, to piggyback on one of the points that Patrick just made, I have a question about. The location of the shuttle bay. This is a ship nerd moment. If we have that 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 intro to drop in, but <laughs> yeah. um, where the shuttle bays are located at the back of the ship, right? There are three of them. Um, mm, okay. Shuttle bays one and two are both located on the rear uh, section of the neck of the star drive section. The quote unquote main shuttle bay is one or two decks below the main bridge uh, at the very top of the saucer. Mm, okay, because uh, one of the things when they were doing the um, the tractor beams and the shuttle is outside the ship, the tractor beam is coming down from directly above it um, to hold it in place. Uh-huh. And I was wondering how that would play out from where the tractor beam, well, if there was ship in that, that area um, to even do a tractor beam to that ship. 
uh, it, I was thinking it was more towards the back though, but um, it seemed like a weird angle to be getting that from. Yes, you are correct, especially given the fact that it's seemingly coming like straight down. <laughs> um, th- I guess you could theoretically put a tractor beam emitter above where the shuttle bay is. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, I'm looking at a model of the Enterprise that's on my desk right now. Um, so <laughs> shuttle bay, shuttle bay two is one of the ones that's on the rear of the neck of the uh, of the ship and it's the shorter one it's the, it's actually the smaller one shuttle bay 2 is almost always the one that you'll see them or you'll hear them talk about because it was the cheapest set to produce because it was the, yeah, smallest, yeah, the smallest shuttle bay you never actually see the main shuttle bay because supposedly it would be you know n- like not quite as big as like the deck of an aircraft carrier but it would have that kind of feel to it because it would be that big um you never see that on on screen but yeah, you could put a tractor beam above where that shuttle bay is. It's just the angle in this episode looked off. You're you're right on that. Yeah. It did not look um, proper. Yeah. The other, um, I had one small note that they almost passed the Bechdel test again. Oh. Um, is Troy and Pulaski are talking, but they're talking about, about Picard. Um, but they do have a scene that they're alone. Um, yeah. The other part is just how how lazy this all seems and and kind of picking piggybacking on one, one of patrick's points again that they keep trying to draw suspense and they keep trying to do all this stuff that every scene is drawing to these conclusions that are like oh it, it's almost like um contagion right where we ended and it was like oh did you try turning it off and on again it's just a simple solution and here it's like oh did you try like instead of doing the positive thing do the negative thing and every character has to figure that out and have this moment and this long drawn out scene and again it feels like a five year old wrote these Mm -hmm. um, and thinks that like this is something that would make sense there but all these characters go through it of like yeah why don't you just take it out and like turn it the other way it's like a usb right it's plugging in a usb you try like taking it out and turning it <laughs> upside down <laughs> take out the cartridge and blowing it and then put it back in yeah yeah absolutely are you sure you have it lined up the right way <laughs> Jeez. and on that note i believe it's time to render our final verdict on this episode uh is this one that we add to our watch list for for uh crucial episodes or is this one that is best left skipped as our guest pat uh, please feel free to go first. I think the obvious answer is skipped. And that with the whenever you come down to the should should you see it or should you not, it's like what's in the episode that is important to know or provide some sort of backstory or future foreshadowing. And I don't really think there is much. You might get away with the beginning, as we said, where they mention Riker's dad. But then again, Riker's dad is like an ancillary pocket of a story that happens in a ridiculous manner in the in the next coming episodes. So I don't even think it passes on that scale. So I'm going to say on, on the wholesale, this thing is just a let, move on, forget it. And uh, right, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take that. Paul, what say you? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at too. I'm, I'm wondering what episode I, I remember. Um, but, because for some reason, I think I remember this is a better episode. And at the core of it, it's just not. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make sense, right? There's not really, not really any way to make sense out of it. Um, and you can see that there's good cores of ideas here, and and the the realization that this started as Q just sums it up so much that mm-hmm. there was something here that tied this together and made it made sense. They right. took that part away, and yep. you're left with something that doesn't. Yep. So uh, yeah, skip, skip. skip. Uh, I'll make it three for three. I will mention that I think I know where my head was at when I said watch, and it has to do with those kid glasses. Um, And also I have a, you know, Pat, you mentioned having a soft spot in your heart for any time travel episode. Um, Sure. I have a soft spot in my heart for any episode that involves the Enterprise being destroyed on screen. Um, And this is, this episode is remarkable because it is the first time we see the Enterprise D destroyed on screen. Yeah. in in next generation we will see it again in cause and effect yesterday's enterprise all good things and in the feature film star trek generations so it happens a few times but this is the (laughs) first time that that it actually happens weirdly pretty much all of those episodes are time travel episodes (laughs) actually every single one of those because well yeah it's the only way you can get around that yeah exactly and uh except for generations which kind of has time travel but kind of doesn't um 
But yeah, it's a skip for me. And, and I think the last scene sums up exactly why this episode is <laughs> is dumb. Um, <laughs> when he's staring out the window and he kind of says, what just happened? Does it even matter yeah. what just happened? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, Picard says, well, you know, damn few answers, which, uh-huh. Yep. I watched this too. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the questions that they ask are the questions that are appropriate of the audience. Maybe none of it was real. Maybe it was a shared dream. Maybe the other Picard was thrown back in time so we could make a different choice. Are we going to answer any of those questions? No, that would have been interesting. Um, yeah, so. and that's, they've been using that a lot in season two, right? That's the way they ended the last episode. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, like, mm-hmm. well, guess we'll not go there again. Yeah, yep. So this is, uh, it's it's the definition of skippable. So, But it was darn fun to talk about. So, uh, Pat, thanks again for uh, for joining us. Yeah, anytime. Uh, absolutely loving it. And let me say that when you guys do have me on again, and I've by no, I definitely reached the end of the show at that point, I'll be glad to circle back around. Nice. <laughs> we're, you're getting to the point where this is like, uh, you know, where I was in 1992, where I was like, Dad, is it Star Trek Next Generation night? And he'd be like, No, that's, uh, you know, two days from now. So really happy that this yeah, is going to start rationing the show those. we all love. Yeah, <laughs> got to ration those episodes. But that's why it's great that it's online and you can binge it. It's not the days where you had to spend yep. tons of money to buy a DVD or power to VHS set. Exactly. So if you want to hear more of uh, Pat Boberg, which I highly recommend you do, uh, check out their website, filmcastwithoutacause.com. I have not yet had a chance to listen to your guys' discussion of the Toxic Avenger parts one and two, but I have your episode on Guardians of the Galaxy volume two queued up because I just watched that myself. So um, thanks again for being here. This whole time I thought it was filmcast without claws. No. Yeah, yes, it's actually through the guise of Inspector Gadget's villain. We think, how, how would this movie be better if the claw was in it? And uh, no, it's it very rarely does Excellent. it turn out it'd be better. Next time, Gadget. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> when will Picard inter- interact with the claw? That's, that's the real question. And until then, uh, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. We'll see you next time. Oh, oh, oh.